Colossians chapter 2, where we're going to be, and Lord help me the time that I have. I really need an hour this morning. You're like, thankfully you don't have that, so I won't, you know, I, probably an hour and a half to, to really cover what we're going to look at in this portion of Colossians chapter 2. Uh, many of you are familiar with the name Tim Tebow, whether you are a sports fan or not, but uh, Apart from being known as an unabashed follower of Christ, uh, Tim Tebow played quarterback in the NFL for a few years, or it's probably better said that he tried to play quarterback in the NFL. Uh, He was an athlete playing quarterback, right? He was very gifted athletically. He could run. He was strong, all of that. But his issue with trying to play quarterback in the NFL was that, mechanically speaking, uh, he was very flawed, Right, his, his throwing motion was unorthodox, it wasn't proper, it, it wasn't what you would expect from an NFL quarterback, uh, his footwork wasn't very good at all, and the knock on him, and it was very true, the knock on him was this, was whenever he found himself under pressure, or in the heat of battle, he would always revert back to what was natural for him, and what was natural for him was actually not good for him as a quarterback in the NFL. You say, where are you going with this? Here's where I'm going with this. What you typically do, if you have not learned how to spiritually counterpunch, you know what you do in life and what you do in battle, is you revert back to what's natural for you. In terms of how you deal with with stress and pressure and all that comes with spiritual warfare, If you're the person who is quenching the Spirit of God, what you do when your back is against the wall, what you do when life becomes a giant overcast, is you revert to what is comfortable and natural for you in the flesh. And that hurts you, doesn't it? Hurts you greatly. And so we've got to get these seven truths down. These last three are as critical as the four that we've looked at. Colossians 2:13. And you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, the beginning of verse 13, it it actually sums up two of the counterpunches that we have looked at so far. Look at the beginning of verse 13 again. And you, being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him. So, That speaks to our complete acceptance and regeneration in Christ. Okay, so he is essentially giving you the conclusion of the doctrinal implications of what he has covered up until this point. This is what this means to you as a believer in Christ. Now, to get this fifth counterpunch, we focus our attention now to the end of verse 13. Would you look at it? having forgiven you all trespasses. Now, we saw in chapter 1 
of, of this epistle in verse 14, we saw that as believers in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. We saw that and we see that. So on the surface, it might appear to be somewhat redundant to now mention trespasses here in chapter 2 and in verse 13. But good students of scripture know better, don't we? Right? We take nothing for granted and no stone is left unturned. We don't dismiss anything. When you compare Colossians 1.14 with Colossians 2.13, both speak about forgiveness, but both are making very distinct points. Chapter 1 verse 14 says, even the forgiveness of sins. Chapter 2 verse 13 says, having forgiven you all trespasses. Okay, so what this does is, if this brings us to, well, we've got to discern now the difference between sins and trespasses. Because two words that are not identical can't be identical in meaning, right? We understand that. So to get this, let's take our attention back to Genesis 4, 7 in your notes, where God said to Cain, If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, this is the first mention of the word sin in Scripture, right here in Genesis 4-7. Cain had the choice to do well by bringing the proper offering to God for God's pleasure and glory, but the choice to not do so meant that he was choosing to voluntarily go against God's word. And so here we go. This ushers us now to a very simple understanding and definition of sin at its most basic level. Sin is voluntary disobedience to God's word. That is what sin is. It is voluntary disobedience to God's word. Okay? So in Christ, we have, present tense, we have forgiveness of sins. Our voluntary disobedience to God's word before and after Christ, we have forgiveness for that, praise the Lord. Now, it would be a travesty for us, an absolute travesty for us, to misinterpret that as license to now live it up in sin. Well, since I'm in Christ and I have forgiveness of sins, well, man, I can just have a sin party in my life. Well, Paul spoke to that in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Absolutely not. <laughs> Genesis 31, 36, look at trespass. And Jacob was wroth, and chode with Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin that thou hast so hotly pursued after me? Jacob, as we know at this point, had served Laban faithfully for 20 years. And when he asked him, What is my trespass? What he was asking him was, Laban, can you please tell me, how have I offended you? How have I hurt you? How have, how have, what, what offense have I committed against you? So trespasses, they are sin, but they specifically refer to offenses or injuries done to others. 
Okay, so this is what he is getting at when he's talking about trespasses here in Colossians chapter 2. This is why in that great section in Matthew 18, where Christ gives us the details on how we deal with conflict in Christ, this is why he used the word trespass. Look at Matthew 18, 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Now, all of us, <laughs> all of us have injured and offended others. It's the truth. If, 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 if I'm the only guy in the room, I'll raise my hand and go, yeah, I have. Just ask her. <laughs> okay? I, I have done that. But what I also know, too, about that is that can be, at times, that can be debilitating to think about. Is that correct? To know the hurt, the, 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 the damage, the pain that you've done to someone. And Satan has a way of reminding you about it, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. Over and over and over and over and over again. And he'll especially try to use who we were and what we did before we were in Christ to hurt us in our walk in Christ. So let me remind you, Kenny, of, of all those things that you used to think, say, and do before you met Christ. I mean, this is who we were. Ephesians 2.1 tells us, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. I mean, that's who we were. I mean, that, we, that's how we lived, how we thought. It's, it's because that was our identity. We were dead in trespasses and sins, and we definitely grieved God. And we absolutely did some serious damage to others, didn't we? We all did. But in Christ, we have forgiveness of sins. And according to the wording of verse 13, I love it. All trespasses. All. Now, I'm sorry. Once again, you've, you've learned by now, I'm not a scholar. But I think all means all. I also think that means past, present, and future. Amen. Would it, it would have to, right? I mean, you're a counselor. You're a smart guy. You're a mechanical engineer. You're a really smart dude. You're like an engineer, too. We've we got some smart people in the room, right? You're an IT manager, right? What does all mean to you? What does all mean to you? Is that are we on the same page? Like, does it mean past, present, and future? Okay. Want to make sure. I studied, but I wasn't sure about all. So whatever you've done to someone else has been forgiven. Now, once again, is this license now to just be insensitive, careless, and treat people like dirt? God forbid. Or to be indifferent about the hurt that we have caused others in the past? God forbid. What it should do is it should provoke in us a thankfulness for God's mercy and grace. My God, thank you that I have forgiven all my sins, all my trespasses that I was dead in. Praise the Lord. But here's what it all should, should do. It should also release us from the guilt that we're tempted to carry over the things that we've done to others. Amen. That can be a heavy thing. So here we go. This brings us to a very all-important fifth counterpunch. You ready? 
I am completely pardoned in Christ. Completely. Completely pardoned. Because here's what I've learned about bondage when we're talking about this topic. Bondage is not exclusive to the victim. Bondage absolutely can be shared by the offender as well. Where the offender will carry the guilt of what they've done, and in many cases, they'll carry it to their grave. They'll carry it to their grave. Here's a sobering truth, and it is sobering. I think you know this by now. It is impossible to walk in this life and not trespass against others. It's impossible. You cannot do it. You can't. I'm telling you, I, I, I wish that I could, I could say I've never trespassed against her. I can never say that. It's part of the human package. I have. And can I tell you, I will again. Is it okay? Am I being nonchalant? No, of course not. It's just impossible to walk in this life and not trespass against others. Even as believers. Because of this flesh that we're in. Again, it doesn't minimize the pain that we have inflicted upon others. Not at all. That was real and that hurt. It hurt them. However, we must all remember, all of us, we must remember that while we all have been deeply hurt, let's get honest, we've also done some hurting, have we not? We've done some hurting. As much as we've been hurt, we've also done some hurting. That's life. And in Christ, we have all been completely pardoned. Many of you will remember this, but in 1974, then-President Richard Nixon, facing impeachment, resigned the presidency. And he appointed the vice, well, he didn't appoint, but the, 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 the process, obviously, was Vice President Gerald Ford, go blue, Michigan man, uh, was then appointed to the presidency. We did win last night, which is why I'm wearing my Michigan tie. Okay, we're not doing that a lot these days, so I got to celebrate. <laughs> Three overtimes against Rutgers, but we'll take it at this point. Right? Okay. But here we go. To the absolute amazement of many, after President Ford became the president, he pardoned his disgraced predecessor, Richard Nixon. People were amazed. And not only were they amazed, but there was actually, there was public outrage. How could he? How could he just pardon him? And to this day, there are many historians who believe that that was the reason that Gerald Ford did not get a second term. Because of his pardon of Richard Nixon. It's amazing. You know, I've heard people say things like, you know what, God might forgive them, but I never will. That's their choice. But if the person they're referring to is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, their disdain for that person and what they've done does not nullify the fact that in Christ they are completely pardoned. 
You can say whatever you want. You can disagree with God all day long. You can hate them all you want. But they are completely pardoned in Christ. Now all of that is true. But where Paul goes next reveals another critical component to this whole process and discussion. Verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, we know that the two tablets of testimony, the Ten Commandments, given to Moses from God, they were written by the very finger of God. The Bible tells us that in Exodus 31 and verse 18. So the handwriting of ordinances refers to, listen, all of our guilt and breaking all of the Ten Commandments. All of us have shattered every one of them. All of us have. And this guilt was hanging over us when we were dead in trespasses and sin. And listen, it hangs over the vast majority of the people who are going to receive a care back from you and me. They're guilty. And their guilt hangs over their head in God's eyes. They're guilty. They're guilty. Historically, <laughs> uh, the Romans, as we know, they were very powerful. And I tell you what, when Rome wanted to send a message, they knew how to send the message. And they knew how to send it loud and clear. Because whenever they would put someone to death by a crucifixion or hanging or impalement, <laughs> uh, right above that person's head, you would see their crime. Because Rome wanted everybody to know, this is what happens when you violate our law. Message sent, message received. This is why set up over the head of Jesus on the cross was the accusation. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And Luke tells you that was written in three languages so everybody would get it. So Colossae, as we know, was predominantly a Gentile church. And so the Gnostics saw a prime opportunity to work their heresy in these Gentiles who were never under the law. And so do you understand, guys, that you're guilty? Now, they're telling this to believers who have been completely pardoned. So if you want to get out from under this guilt that you have before God, what you're going to do is adhere strictly to our teachings, although they're heresies. Not much has changed, has it? <laughs> we were guilty before God, and the ordinances were against us and were contrary to us, but at salvation, praise the Lord, all of that was done away with past, present, and future. Now, and here's what happened to our sin debt. Not only was it forgiven, it was blotted out, it was taken out of the way, and nailed to his cross. Now, if that has become mundane and routine to you, you might want to start praying and fasting. And asking God to revive your carnal hard heart. Because that's massive. Your sin debt was forgiven, erased, and settled at Calvary. Wow. 
You ready for this six punch? I am completely settled in Christ. I'm completely settled. Completely settled. Your sin account was paid in full. Paid in full. This is why Paul could tell you in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12 that you are no longer a debtor to your flesh. You're not. Your sin account has been settled, paid in full. And here's one of the reasons this is so critical, because I know for a fact, I know our class. There are some of you who are not, I'm not talking about the 1030, I'm talking about some people in this room. There are some of you, I know for a fact, there are some of you who are struggling over things that you did 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago, one year ago, one month ago, one week ago. You just keep running it in your mind, don't you? Over and over and over. I can't believe this is awful. Oh my gosh, I can't. Over and over and over again. Just look at verse 14 again. <laughs> Blotting out. That means to smear out. That is obliterate. <laughs> Destroyed. Blown up. And took it out of the way to lift. It's gone. Listen, so thinking on the sins and trespasses of your past, listen, is wasted energy and does nothing but give place to the devil. It's wasted energy. And all you're doing is giving place to the devil. You're simply thinking on something that is not there. Why? Because it's been blotted out and taken out of the way. You're choosing to think on something that God has chosen not to think about. The Bible tells you what to think on, and it's not those things. But there is a stern warning to some here, because some Bible believers actually assist Satan in his work here. They do. Uh, some will give intellectual assent to our sin debt being completely settled in Christ, but what they really mean in their heart is, my sin debt was completely settled in Christ, not yours. Where am I going? They viciously remind other believers of their trespasses and sins in the past. Praise the Lord that my sin debt has been canceled, settled. Oh my goodness, whoo, but you? You might be forgiven in Christ, but let me remind you of what you did 20 years ago, especially to me. God is not in that. I know who is. If you do that, you must know you need to humble yourself or God will. And you also need to know you really don't believe the word of God as much as you claim to. Because their sin debt was settled just as much as yours was. 
Now, are things going to have to be worked out between believers from time to time? Absolutely. This is why the Lord gave us Matthew 18. There are times where a trespass happens and we have to work through that. I get that. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is, is when we go and get the shovel out and we start digging and reminding people of their sins and trespasses. God's not in that. So, when you find yourself being tempted, however that works out, whether Satan is doing it or someone is trying to tempt you to do it, you know what you do? You counter with, I'm what? I'm completely settled in Christ. What you're talking about, what you're trying to remind me of, yeah, I, I hear you, and I agree, it was terrible. Praise the Lord, it's been settled. Amen. That's been paid for. Amen. I am completely settled in Christ. So, if someone is choosing to remember what God has chosen not to remember in your life, you leave that to them in the Lord. Amen. That's not your problem, that's not for you to lose an ounce of sleep over. Amen. I'm completely settled. Completely. Verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now, if you remember in verse 8, Paul warned them against being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit. But here in verse 15, we see that the forces that are working against us day in and day out have been spoiled principalities and powers we said last week that spiritual warfare is a battle over the truth now the word of God has given you some insight in verse 15 that I promise you I promise you if Satan could he would rip it out of your Bible faster than you can blink God has given you and me some insight as believers that is like God has brought you into the strategy room of the devil so that you can listen. It's like, again, I know I'm a sports guy. You're like, if you give me one more sports analogy, I'm going to leave your, this class. I'm sorry. Okay? But it's like, listen... It's like being in the huddle of, the, of your opponent. Like you're in the huddle. And you're listening to the play. And then you come out of the huddle and you get on your side. I know what's coming. <laughs> if you grasp it, your life will never be the same. As it relates to spiritual warfare. So we understand, we wrestle against principalities and powers, Ephesians 6.12. But those things have been spoiled. So wait a minute, let me, let me get this right. So my adversary, my enemies, they've been defeated. And that's who I'm wrestling with? I'm wrestling against a defeated foe. So wait a minute, before, I mean, like, if, if, I'm, if I'm going into competition 
as I used to play football and basketball. So you mean to tell me, Coach, before we even take the field or before we take the floor, we've already won? They can't, they, yeah, Kenny, what I'm telling you, son, they can't beat you. It's impossible. Yeah, but, I mean, look how tall that guy is, man. <laughs> I mean, that guy is 6'4". I mean, I just, I thought I would, I would get to six feet one time. <laughs> and then I had a physical a year ago, and she said, yeah, you're 5'10". I'm like, I'm 5'10"? I'm never going to make it to six. Like, it just, it killed me. I was like, man, I wanted, I wanted to be able to say that. And, uh, you're not going to be able to say it. <laughs> Especially at 48. You're done. <laughs> so I'm like, man, you step on the court. Some of these guys are six, three, six, four, six, six, a few six, sevens back in the day. Yeah, but it can't, he's already whipped. You've already won. Really? Listen. And having spoiled. Look, I tell you what that means. Listen. To divest wholly, which is to strip of clothes, arms, or equipage. That's what Jesus did to your enemies and mine. He divested them. I'm convinced that for all these years, we thought that the enemy had like this arsenal of weaponry that was just super high-tech, incredible, unbelievable, could take us out. And I get it. Listen, I, I am not mocking who Satan and the fallen angels are. They're some bad dudes. I get that. But what I get more is who we are in Christ and how they have been fully divested against us that's the issue that's the issue they were stripped of their power and reparee against believers jesus spoiled them and made a show of them opening other words you know what he did he humiliated them humiliated them embarrassed them publicly for the whole world to see when Jesus died, was buried, and rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, he absolutely made a mockery of our enemy. He spoiled them. This is why Paul could write that we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Why? Because darkness was defeated at Calvary. Amen. Whipped. It was a blowout. A blowout. Now, here's the intel you desperately need to know. Satan does not have the arsenal that he once had before Calvary. Okay, you got to get that. He lost that. But listen very carefully. Here's what he is counting on. While he is defeated, while his forces are whipped, here's what he is counting on, and more than a few of God's people have given him reason to count on this. You ready? He is counting on your dismissal 
of seven words. He's counting on your dismissal of seven words. You say, but man, hey, we're, we've won. Yeah, we have. Man, they've been stripped and humiliated and embarrassed and, and blown out and, and mocked and all that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, but why is he still fighting like he has a shot? How is it that he's still so very effective still? It's because of these seven words that believers who sit in rooms just like this and hold King James Bibles and go to churches like this, they dismiss these seven words. You ready? I gave you four last week. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. That's why. That's why he has hope. That's why he fights the way that he fights. Is because believers dismiss these seven words. Quench not the spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 And it should not surprise us. The very next verse. Despise not prophesying. Obviously we have the perfect complete word of God today. But to despise prophesying at this time meant to disesteem a word from God. That's what it meant. And listen, you can't quench the spirit without disesteeming a word from God. Why? Because he's the spirit of what? Truth. So when you quench the spirit, guess what you do? You despise prophesying. You disesteem something that God has clearly said from his word to you, you say, that's not important. I will not adhere to that. This is what we do. This is why Satan fights the way that he fights. It's because he is counting on your dismissal of these seven words. Listen, Satan's effectiveness against a believer is never determined by Satan. It is determined by the believer. Every single time. It has to. You say, how? Well, again, is he not defeated? Was he not spoiled at Calvary? Have you not been empowered to overcome darkness? Yes. So he can only be as effective as you do this. Quench the spirit and despise prophesying. As long as you live there, you're defeated. The seventh truth for counterpunching, I am completely triumphant in Christ. Completely triumphant. Jesus triumphant over Satan and the fallen angels. And because you are in Christ. This is why the word of God says to you. In 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be unto God which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. 
and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. You say, well, that's not my experience. My life isn't that way. Why is that? Let me answer that for you very clearly. It is because of your dismissal of those seven words. That would be why. 